So good morning, good morning. We're, we're excited. Uh, folks tune in via podcast from time to time. Folks tune in in many different ways. Uh, some here, some tune out while they're here as well. Um, but we're excited about this new series that we're starting today called Free. Yes, it does start right around um, the 4th of July, which is just wonderful, is it not? Um, and Matt was festive enough to wear a red shirt today. God bless America. And Matt, too, he's looking amazing. And um, that's why he's there. That's part of the reason, but not all of it. Um, but yes, we are starting a new series today called Free. We're excited about this. We really are, um, because there's a lot of things to celebrate when it comes to freedom. Okay? When you think back, uh, it was on the 4th of July in 1776 that we unified as a country in its infancy stage and adopted what was called the Declaration of Independence. The hope and desire that these fellows soon-to-be United States had was that they could finally have a freedom and an ability to live independently from what was then an oppressive Great Britain. Anthony says, Amen. The freedom did not come overnight, nor without the loss of life. Uh, but nonetheless, freedom and independence did make its way into the American heart and to its people as well. Over 2,000 years ago, in the heart of God, he felt that it was time to send his only begotten son to this earth to become the once and for all sacrifice for the people that needed true freedom. A freedom that can only come by way of the bruised and battered body of his son Jesus. The only way it could happen was by that body. With Jesus' broken body, we were made whole. With Jesus' sentence to death, we as God's children received our independence. Our freedom from an adversary that scripture tells us roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Yesterday, we remembered the sacrifice and the heart that it took for us to have our independence as an American people. But this morning, we can't forget the heart of sacrifice that we witness in the life of Jesus as he paid the ultimate price for our freedom from death, hell, and the grave. That, my friends, is what it's like to be free. Think about it. Think about it. That's what it's like to be free. All of these patriots that got behind a cause that believed that freedom was possible. And what did they do? They fought for it. And it took some time for that freedom to be realized, but they fought for it. So my mind began to turn. And I was thinking about freedom. What does this look like? What does this whole series of, of conversations look like when it comes to freedom? And I began to think, and I was praying, and I was just really talking with God about it and, and uh, reading through the Word and getting some ideas and just spending some time. And my mind automatically went to the disciples and, and the, the first century apostles, you know, what they became. Um, these guys that, that were the church that started the church. And I began to think about them, and you're thinking, wow, what do they have to do with freedom? What do they have to do with being free? Why are these guys significant? Because you know what? They realized something in their lives, in that opportunity, that little glimpse of time that they had, that little small expanse of time that they had. They understood that true freedom is found in and through Christ. Think about it. Think about it. So what we're going to do with this series is take a look at some of these disciples' lives today, especially with most of the disciples, uh, not about their, their specific names per se, but, you know, the overarching idea of what it looked like to be a disciple and then some of the instances that they went through. But as throughout the series, we're also going to look at the life of Paul because he's one of those guys, okay, sitting in prison. But what was he? Free. free. Does, that, does that look like free to you? 
You ever watch those shows where those kids get on lockdown for a little bit because they're trying to break them of all their bad behaviors? That's pretty fun to watch, isn't it? Not really, but that scares me. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being where Paul was in prison. But he felt like he was free. Why? Because he was in Christ. He was in Christ. So what does it look like to be free? Why does this mean so much to us as modern day disciples, as apostles, people who carry the good news? What does this look like? Well, it's important to understand um, what a disciple is. And you may have heard about this already some in our time together, but I think it's important for us to be reminded of who and what a disciple is and what they do and how they live in this true freedom that they realized. This word is derived from the New Testament and most commonly associated with Jesus and the 12 that he had. A disciple by definition is a follower, a follower, someone who is following in this case after Christ. A disciple is an individual person on a journey with Christ and then others. When we look uh, at this time when these folks uh, went from ordinary folks who were fishermen, who did all kinds of other jobs in life, to extraordinary folks who became the beginning of the church. These guys knew what it meant to be free. Sidebar. So we had an amazing men's retreat, right? Guys, can I get some yes? What do y'all do? Do you yes? Do you grunt? What do you do? I don't <sighs> Beef. Like, if, can I get an amen? Beef, okay? Um, or if you're eating a lot of hot dogs like we did, Mystery, okay. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, Rob did an amazing job making sure that we were all happy and fed well. Um, but you think about this this life that these guys had, and I think about you know the life of a disciple being able to just basically camp all the time. Can you imagine that the freedom that you find in there, Jordan? I've got four amens in a row. Okay, this beef, beef, beef. But um, this is freedom. For a man, this is, so you mean I get to quit that and just go hang out with you? We can camp and stuff? Sweet. But also on top of that, we can tell people about God and what you're here to do. It's awesome. That's what it looked like to be free to these guys. So I got a little glimpse of that with my fellas. So I'm pretty excited about what it's going to look like with these guys as well. All right. These guys knew what it like was to be free to go from ordinary fishermen to extraordinary fishers of men. We look at a time in which Jesus was handpicking these disciples in Mark um, 3.13. It says, He went up on a mountainside and He called to Him those He wanted, and they came to Him. Freedom is a choice. You see that. He's like, come follow me. He's like, leave what you're doing. Because if you think about it, this is really oppressive in your life. This isn't what freedom looks like for you. You're not just an ordinary fisherman. You're extraordinary fishers of men. This is oppressive. This is freeing. Come follow me. What did they do? Peace. They were out. Freedom. Freedom. And I loved the lives of these folks and what they did. There's a huge emphasis on this discipleship idea. If you look in scripture, the word disciple appears 230 times in the New Testament alone. It is important. It is imperative. So 
what I want us to do this morning is take a few moments and, and take a look at these guys and see what it means to be free as we take a look at their lives. There's some characteristics that these guys had um, that they exhibited as they did life with Jesus, as they did life sharing this good news of their best friend. There's some things that they, they have shown us today that are applicable to us every single day in every single way that I want to share with you. And again, a lot of times we view the Christian life, right? Think about it with those that really don't have a relationship with him yet. Not those that aren't saved, but those that don't have a relationship with them yet. Not the ones that are going to hell. No, the ones that don't know my Jesus yet. See what I'm saying here? They don't know what this freedom looks like. They don't know what this freedom feels like. They don't know how every morning, though the world may be crashing in around me, I'm okay. Because not only is he in my boat, but I'm in his boat. Think about that. I'm free. I'm free. So there's some things in this Christian walk that these guys exhibited from the very beginning that really glean from today that we need to understand when it comes to what it looks like to truly be free in Christ. Are you with me? I got a baby that's with me. I like that. That's a sign of life. You know, everybody else is falling asleep. She's like, come on, somebody. Right? She's back there waving a hanky. All right? That's my girl. And she can wave a hanky as long as she wants in here. How about that? All right? We're fine with that. I have kids. It's fine with me. The number one thing that we need to understand, that we need to get when it comes to this freedom, is that being a disciple looks like humility. It looks like humility. What are you saying? I got to lower myself and that's freedom? You're saying that I can't be proud of the work that I've accomplished or or the, the job that I have or or uh, my family and the vehicle that I drive and the home that I've... I'm saying that. There's nothing wrong with being proud of something. But there's a difference between being proud and having pride. There's a fine line there that you know you cross it, that it changes things. When you go from being proud of something, like I'm proud of my kids, man. I'm really proud of them and the things that they've they've done already and how they did in school last year and, and all this stuff. But they can't become my source of pride. I can't have pride in my kids. That's not, I can be proud, but I have pride. I can be proud of the work that I've accomplished as a pastor thus far in my life. But if I have pride in that, you're going to see somebody fall and they're going to fall hard and you're going to watch it. I can't do that. Your gifts and your abilities, you can be proud of what God's given you, but if you have pride, watch out for the fall. Something's going to hurt. These disciples showed us what it looked like to truly be free as they spent life with him and understood what this humility thing looked like. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin in mere Christianity. There's a chapter entitled just that, The Great Sin. And within that chapter, we hear Lewis say these words, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. But... If we truly desire to be more like Christ and follow him with everything that we possess, then we will have 
a, a excuse me, then we will have to be a disciple that possesses humility above pride. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family since the world began. And that was in the 40s. Think about it now. We've seen a lot of change since then. We've seen a lot of pride. We haven't seen that much humility. Think about it. You can be proud to be an American, but you can't have the pride because the pride comes before the fall. How do we combat pride in our lives? Knowing who we are. Jesus himself, John 5, 41. I do not accept praise from men. John 5, 19. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. John 5, 30. By myself, I can do nothing. Again, he says, I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus got it. 100% God. 100% man. He got it so that we could get it too. And we see it in the lives of the disciples. Also, look at this, what Paul says in Philippians 2, 2, 1 through 7, pertaining to believers today. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better. That's hard, right? Better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. What a downgrade. Think about it. Think about it. If I eat more than uh, about 2,000 calories a day, what happens? <clears throat> human nature is not fun. The human body isn't fun, right? Think about it. If someone hurts my feelings, what do I do? You know, the, the quiver? You ever seen it? <laughs> You know, the other night, Allie was so scared about something. You know, I felt terrible. You know, she was so scared that she worked herself up so much when she was crying. I was like, <laughs> you know, that kind of cry. We are a hot mess. We are a hot, hot mess. But he left that to come be a hot mess with us so that he could show us what it looked like to be complete. Right? And one of those things that he carried was humility and he showed it to the disciples and we're here to show it to our disciples those that are following us as we follow him as well today jonathan edwards said it so succinctly as he stated we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true christianity most central thing humility putting others needs before your own that's why we're that's why we're a church that's why we left. That's why we came. That's why you're here. You get it. You feel it. Because we're not here for ourselves. We're here for each other. Second thing, being a disciple looks like sacrifice. This isn't fun, is it? Sacrifice isn't fun. It's one thing to have humility. You're like, yeah, I can like every day be nice to someone and say, you look, you just look so beautiful today. You know, they're Bless them, Lord, okay, kind of thing. Bless their heart, right? That's the, the mantra of Culpeper, Virginia. But um, whew, 
It's one thing to, to just, you know, table the pride, but sacrifice is another thing. Sacrifice is above and beyond. Sacrifice is something that's not a real fun word, right? Is it? I don't like to sacrifice much. You know, let's get back to that body thing. Okay, we can get some amens there. Sacrifice that bowl of cereal for maybe a little walk around the house or even just outside. <laughs> I love me some cereal. Anybody else a cereal head like me? I am a cereal killer. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. And that was that's for the children, <laughs> so they can laugh because that was dumb for the adults. <laughs> I can handle it. I ain't got no pride. I am the most humble person in the world. Diver take. I'm kidding. <laughs> sacrifice, though. Jesus knew what it meant to be the once and for all sacrifice. It's so hard for us, you know, we're supposed to be living sacrifices. Matt talks about that a lot, that we, we, we lay ourselves out here on this, this altar place of worship. But what happens is you crawl off, don't you? You're like, no, that's starting to hurt a little bit. That's, like, that's not what I signed up for in sacrifice 101, you know. I'm out. Sacrifice isn't fun, is it? Right? Carl, he, he runs a gym down at Fairmont. So he's training these little basketball players, right? And I'm sure one of the greatest things you instill in these little guys is you need to sacrifice. You need to work hard. You need to be willing to go the distance. You need to do what it takes. We don't like that. That's not fun. My couch is way more comfortable than my bicycle. Can I get an amen? I'm t- there is like, Kara can tell you, there's like this mold that's there. You slide the ottoman up just about 2.4 feet out. And then you take two pillows and you just set them to the right. And it's, ah, that's sacrifice. No, that's not sacrifice. That's comfort. That's comfort. But when we look at the lives of the disciples, these guys knew what it meant to lay their lives down for him. Most of them were martyred. Think about it. Almost all of them were martyred. They even, they even tried to, to kill Paul, but he's like, no, excuse me, John, not Paul, that would hurt too. Talking about John, where was he exiled to? The Isle of Patmos. Still, brother was writing. Still, he was giving things out. Sacrifice. At one point, you see that Jesus was about to leave this earth, and he knew that his it was his time. His time had come for him to make his way to Jerusalem, where he would give up his life as that ultimate sacrifice. He knew it was time for his disciples, you know, really like we talk about, to go all in. So we see this dialogue ensue in Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. It's not that Jesus didn't care about their families, but he was making sure their heart was in the right place of sacrifice. At any point in time, they would lay down anything whatsoever to complete the work that he had for their lives. Starting our church, um, for me, wasn't the easiest thing. You're like, oh, really? Duh. You know, I didn't think that it would just be like, ah, 
you know, tiptoeing through tulips and everything's just going to be perfect. There were some discouraging times in the beginning. And this verse popped out to me where he's like, hey, put your hands to the plow and don't look back. That's it. You can't, you can't just dwell on the former things. You can't dwell in the past because I'm doing something new in the future, but it's going to take sacrifice. Anybody ever farmed before? Have you ever tried to put in a garden? Even a, 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 a motorized rototiller. Have you ever tried to run one of those things? You know? Especially if you're in West Virginia, they have these things called rocks. Anybody ever experienced those? Good Lord. All right? That's not fun. That's sacrifice. But what happens on the other side? You see fruit. You see fruit. For me, putting my hands to the plow, not looking back, was so that I had straight lines. And as I went behind, there was things being planted. So that when I could turn around in a season later and look at the fruit, I turn around in a season later and I see the fruit. What happens if I didn't put my hand to the plow? What happens if our team, every single one of them, didn't put their hand to the plow? A lot of these guys give like more than you know of their time. I should say all of these guys. God has put a They give so much. They sacrifice so much because God has put a vision in their life for you and for this community. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's what it's all about. Third thing, being a disciple looks like forgiveness. This is hard. You thought humility was one thing. Sacrifice is another. Forgiveness? Punch me in the face, I'm done. Right? Forgiveness. Because it's not just about you and him. It's really about you and them. And this one is tough. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Some of the very last words that Christ spoke as he was upon the cross and his, his clothes were being torn from his body, were these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Jesus was all about forgiveness. In the hardest time of his life, when people were just taking everything, the only thing he had left, he said, compassion, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think the Father felt on the other side of that. You know, think about that. I think, and I never thought of it until literally just now. I think Jesus was even teaching a lesson on forgiveness to God. Father, forgive them. I can't, only you can, but Father, forgive them because what they're doing is detestable, it's terrible, they don't care. Father, forgive them. That heart in that moment is what the disciples learned to grab a hold of. What the disciples begin to emulate the disciples, begin to care most about. But why do we find it so hard to forgive others from time to time? Why do we find it so hard? I think one of the problems is that we haven't learned to truly accept forgiveness for ourselves. So naturally, we don't think we can extend it toward others. How can I be forgiven? God, do you know what I did? Yes, I do. How can I be forgiven? You saw what I did at that point in time. You saw that I stooped so low and acted like that. Yes, I do. I see it, my child. I see it. But I also see who you're going to be. I see what my grace can do. I see what my forgiveness, I see what my son's death did. Yeah, I see it. 
But if you ask me to take it, it's gone forever. But what's so hard about that is that we, we, don't, we don't forget sometimes, do we? You notice that? I wish I could find that seed that I can throw it in as well because, man, I would love to forget some things. And the enemy uses that. He does. He's smart. He's, he's slick. He knows what he's doing. He'll be quick to hold our past against us within ourselves. Outside, that's outside of other people. But what I'm saying is this. It's key for us to accept forgiveness this morning because if we don't accept forgiveness, we'll find it hard to give it. You ever think about people that do certain things or act a certain way and you look at them and you're just like, what planet are you from? Do you ever think that way? Do you ever look at them just like, why in the world did you do that? Or why do you act like that? You've never been there. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're going through. Of course you don't understand. Forgiveness is the same way sometimes. You can't give it because you haven't received it. You don't know it. Right? It's so important to accept this forgiveness. Jesus says it clearly in Luke 6, 37. Forgive and you will be forgiven. We've got to start somewhere. And I think that's a great place. Is looking within and forgiving. Learning to forgive. Think about uh, the greatest example of forgiveness ever is the reinstatement of Peter. I love the story. <laughs> if anybody had reason not to be forgiven, it would be Peter. But if anybody had reason to be forgiven, it would be Peter. Because Jesus saw the potential of his life. And the same with you today. It's on the other side of forgiveness. Listen to this. This is a quote that I heard a couple years ago that's just really impacted my life. Life becomes easier when you learn to accept an apology you never got by Robert Brault. I'm going to read it again. Life becomes easier when you learn to accept an apology you never got. Isn't that hard? Because I can tell you what, I can, I can populate a list of people and their names in my mind right now that I feel like I have no idea what I did. I have no idea how I offended. I have no idea. Because you, if you guys know me, I'm a people person. I'll make sure things are right. On my end, I'll do my very best. But there's people that I never, never received an apology from. Never have any. They're open-ended. Anybody understand what I'm talking about there? You want to get more animated? <laughs> the lip. See the lip? It quivered. I wish I had some, dun, 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 you know, that would have been, and I'll get some. <laughs> but life is so difficult, is it not? Is it not? When you haven't learned to accept an apology that you never got. Here's the one thing I love about God. That he's a big boy. He can handle you saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. He's not going to be like, that's right, I know you are, because I'm God. Yes, you know those pastors, right? It's like, I didn't know God was a bobblehead doll, you know? What's great is as you get older, that works even better. It's called elasticity, leaving the body. God is waiting, though, for you to just say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Because in that moment, you're able to 
extend the forgiveness. In forgiveness, you find freedom, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and what? Waiting for the other person to die. Good luck. If you watch Romeo and Juliet, not good. Just saying. Unforgiveness. The last thing is this. Being a disciple looks like love. Love is essential. Why? Because the example of of what and who love truly is, as it was instructed, as we see in Matthew 22. And this is one of my favorite scriptures. 22, 34 through 40. We see Jesus, as usual, being questioned and prodded by the religious rulers of the day. Everybody wondering, why are you doing this? Why are you messing up the system? Come on, Jesus. We have everything perfect. And here you come along with this new message. Great. Wonderful. They made it their job to get up in his business nonstop. They asked him questions about taxes and marriage. But there was one question regarding the law that was the litmus test in their opinion as to who this guy really was and what he was all about. They asked him this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered simply, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then there was just like that. But wait, there's more. Remember Billy Mays? What is his name? Hey, guys, Billy Mays here. Remember? R.I.P. Billy. But wait, there's more. Jesus then proceeds to tell them, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus blew them out of the water with this response. This type of love is what we've based our ministry off of. Loving God and loving people. That's what Jesus said is the greatest thing to do, so why wouldn't we do it? It says it right here in the iPad Bible, right? Bible. Made by Bill Hybels. Why would we not do that? Why would we not, as disciples, as followers of Christ, do the same thing? He made it simple. How many of you guys like simple? I like simple. That's why we try to simplify church in a lot of ways. Because it can get complicated real quick. Like directions from stuff from Walmart versus directions from things from Ikea with the guy with the big nose. It's like, you know, simple. Big difference there. Or you can just go buy a piece of furniture. It's all together. Put it back in your truck. Go home. You're happy. Okay. But for others, there's Ikea. Simple makes sense. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like I shared last week, too, he gives us another command when it comes to love. A new one, John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. It's a self-sacrificial type of love. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the thing that makes the difference. This is the thing that changed it all for the disciples. This is the thing that will change our church, our community, our world. If we have this type of love one for another, because we'll point directly to him. Remember how Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. There's a lot there. And to save time, I'll just really paraphrase it. He says, if I speak in the tongue of, of tongues of men and angels, but have not love, 
I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all of these gifts, if I have all this stuff and I have not love, I have nothing. If I have the nicest car, if I have the nicest home, if I have, you know, kids that, that can do this and, and, you know, a job that can do that, but if I don't have love, I'm bankrupt. Paul got it. The disciples got it. That if they don't have love, the kind of love that's self-sacrificial to lay their lives down, they have nothing. The greatest of these is love. You see that in verse 13. And this love compels us, like in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, because we are convinced, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore we all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I want to challenge you. There's a video that's going to come on your screen in just a second. I want to challenge you to redefine what freedom looks like in your life. Freedom in Christ. Freedom to what's called leave and follow. Rachel's going to get that up on the screen for you. you rethink things a little bit, doesn't it? Because a lot of times, again, we think of this Christian life as something that's oppressive, something that's a bunch of rules and regulations to hold us down. And, and a lot of folks that you talk to every day think the same thing, don't they? You go to church? Yeah. Fun? That guy's kind of crazy, but yeah, it's good. But like, what else do you do? I mean, are you not allowed to do this? You're not allowed to do that? You're like, you know, I don't really focus on all these lists of things that the world makes up in some ways that, that I can't do if I love him. I focus really on, on loving him. Because I made this choice to leave all of that when he said, come follow me. And not that I, I love vehicles. I love cars. I love trucks, right? Did that die when I chose to follow Christ? No. I love being outside and doing things and 
did that did I just then have a prayer room in my my home that I only stay in for the rest of my life and no no that didn't change what changed was what, what's in here I chose that things wouldn't have a hold on me I chose to to, to really be humble about life and be proud of what God's given me but not have pride in it you know, I, I've chosen like the disciples to say that any point in time, I'll give it all up. If God said literally, sell your old pickup truck, Shannon would probably have a revival, but you really like that? Yes, I do. But if he told me to sell it and give it to someone need to dig a well in Africa, I'd be like, okay. And the thing is, you guys are sharing the same stories in your heart right now because you're willing to do it. But if he tells me to forgive, that's a little hard. No, that's not exempt either. Sometimes your greatest enemies can be the ones you know the most. You gotta forgive. They're not gonna die as you drink this poison. You may never get an apology, but you gotta forgive so you can sleep at night. That's what you gotta choose. You're like, but you don't understand. You're like, I, I don't understand. There it is. I'm not that pastor that gets up and be like, I know what you're going through, brother and sister. Now, I don't, I'm not in your life. I do not. And I, and I will be here for you any way I can. But I don't know your unique situation because it's your life. But you know what you have to do. Be honest. You know what you have to do. What does the forgiveness look like? The hardest thing is to love because you know how bad do you know what no I don't but God does and he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son this isn't just that verse that you hear about in the trailer outside of school that's what it was for me they used to have this little tri this little travel bible trailer that would go to church church I mean school to school to school and they would give us a, a bible time when I was in public school I always heard John three sixteen. always It's not just about that little verse that we recited on those little colored pews. And no, it's about today. Accepting that forgiveness. Accepting that love. Again, to accept it is to give it. That's hard. You don't know. You're right. I don't. But he does. And his love is greater. It's greater. Plead my case. I'll leave it all on the field. That's it. But I do know one thing. We're going to sing Freedom Reigns as, as we close out. I do know, I know one thing. Out of all the stuff I carried growing up, all the pain, all the hurt, all the frustration, all the letdown, all the unforgiveness, all that stuff, there came a day that he freed me inside. Because we are his temple. We carry him with us. There was a day that he freed me. It has not been the easiest process to live out every single day because the enemy knows my bait. He knows what can get you. But I'm choosing every day to allow freedom to reign in this place. And that is not a prideful statement. That is a very humbling statement. Because I still can be a mess. Kara sees it all. Pray for her. I still can be a mess. 
but I, I let him reign. He's the Lord of my life. It's not oppressive. It's not this weight like earlier you saw. It's not, no, it's this weight that picks you up, that gives you the ability to soar like an eagle. Gives you the ability to get the perspective that you need on the situation. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's what I want us to do as we close. Um, I want to challenge you to stand. You can do that right now. And if you can't stand, that's fine. If it's too hard for you to stand for a long time, that's fine as well. But I just, I just want, I want to challenge you this morning. Like, don't take this lightly. This isn't just some hokey little Fourth of July service that, oh, great, they themed it. Oh, they know I love fireworks. Yes. This is about your heart and soul. This is about your freedom. We pray before every service together. And I believed this morning, and I still believe right now, that freedom does reign in this place and that the Holy Spirit's doing the work. And I believe, call it crazy, that people care about one another in this society. It's nuts that there's a bunch of folks that come out on a Sunday morning to the lower level of an architectural firm. It's a church. Because... They feel something. They know something's different. There's a common unity. There's community here that cares. And then wait till, wait till our college students get back too. Because <laughs> we prayed this summer that families would come. You didn't see that before, did you? There's families. Some are missing today because it's the fourth. But there's families that have come because we prayed that it would be a healthy church. Some of our older folks are away this weekend, but we prayed that we would have those with gray hair to no hair, like our little one in the back. We prayed for that. And God has answered. Why can't he answer your need? Is he not able? Does he not care? Of course he does. so much going on, you know, in your lives. And you need Him. You need the true freedom that's afforded and found in Him. That's why we challenge you to sign up for prayer. That's why we challenge you to connect in groups. That's why we challenge you to love one another unconditionally. Because there's freedom in that. To be free is so amazing. There's nothing like it to be free. Yet we carry it so often, all the hurt and the pain. And he stands there. He's like, come on. Come on. Come on. I love you. I died for you. Look at my body. That was for you. You can be free. But you don't know. He understands. He understands. And he loves you. He loves your family. He loves your future. He loves everything that he has for you. And he wants you to be free to possess it. So what we're going to do is, is as we sing, you can sing from your seat. That's fine. But I want to pray with you. That's We believe that when we, when we agree on something, that change happens. That's why we pray together. It's not something fruitcakey. It's biblical. When we agree with you on something, you say, this is where I'm struggling. 
all right, let's agree on it. Because if two or more agree on that, it can happen. It will happen. We believe it because it has. This is a place of freedom. The greatest freedom you can ever have is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have that yet, that's your first step. How does that happen? God, forgive me of my sins. I repent. I ask for that forgiveness. And repentance means I turn. I turn away from that and I turn toward you because you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. You are the alpha. You are the beginning. All that. You're everything. Forgive me. Let me journey with you. Let me be a disciple. And then we work out all the crazy together after that. That's family. That's community. So I'm going to pray and these guys are going to sing. And I really want to challenge you. I really do. Just Kara will be up here and Christy and some of our other leaders will be up here as well to pray with you. Um, just let them, let them just agree with you on something. That's okay. Let them agree with you. I'm up too, bud. Because we, we believe that when we agree together, Jordan, if you could come up too, bud. We just, we want to be here for you. There's guys up here, fellas, that can pray for you and ladies as well because we don't want to get anything minced or messed up there. We want to believe with you. All right? So I'm going to pray, and you'll see these guys over here, and Christy and I will be over this direction. Um, if you want prayer during this song, just slide up. It's nothing scary. Nobody's watching you. We're all a mess. Get over it. <laughs> Who cares? You ain't got nothing to prove here at church. You're like, do you know how many hypocrites are there? Yep, all of us. Come on and join us. Just take time during this song. If you have a friend beside you, bring them with you. That makes it more comfortable. But we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe that God is going to give you true freedom in the exact area that you pinpoint between him and you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to pray. And then as they sing, from that, at the beginning of the song on, just slide up. Just slide up. And everybody else, just close your eyes. Don't worry about what's going on in front of you. Just spend some time experiencing him. Jesus, thank you. Thank him with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that in you we have freedom. Thank you that in you you took a kid from a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and you made me well. and you reestablished life within him the way that you meant it to be. And you set him on a course. God, I thank you for that. I thank you. And God, this morning, I want others to have the same type of gratitude toward their Lord and Jesus, not this fictional character, but this person who has changed my life. God, we want humility. We want to be willing to sacrifice. We want to forgive. We want to be forgiven. We want to love like you love. That's what freedom looks like. It's what the disciples and Paul showed us. And that's what we want to show this world in which we live. So God, in a few moments, we're going to agree together that you 
reign supreme over anything, and you are freedom. You are our freedom. And that's what reigns in this place. And God, let it rain down as well, all around us. Like that visual that Matt gave us last week, that we're sinking in it, just engulfed in that freedom that we have in you. So God, as we begin to sing, I challenge your people to allow us to agree with them in prayer on anything so that we can see the miracle on the other side. We love you. In Jesus' name.